0: Hi, my name's Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design uh, with RMIT University. And I've just received in the post last week this great book uh, written by Nanette Carter and also Robert Oswald Jacobs. And it's the life of Francis Burke, designer of modern textiles. Well done on the book. Thank
1: you, Stephen. Yeah, thank you, Stephen.
0: It was just a joy. Look. I mean, you get some books and you think, oh, it's kind of covering the same ground and it's, you know, you've seen it all before. And But Frances Burke is quite unknown, even though she really left behind quite an important legacy. Why is it to start with, and I'll either Robin or Nanette, first thing, how did you how did you decide on doing a book on um, Frances Burke? Is it just the... the, the you know that she hasn't been really talked about properly, or
1: partly. It was it was um, it was absolutely serendipitous. I think I had been having some talks with the RMIT Design Archives about some of the details in um, my master's thesis pertaining to Francis Burke. I wrote a master's thesis in the 90, or 1998, I submitted, and um, the design archives wanted, wanted to just check some details, and um, I had my thesis sitting out, and a friend who um, was working at that stage for um, architecture media said, oh, wow, this is really interesting. He was flipping through it, looking at the images. He said, you should publish And I thought, no, (laughs) should I? I probably should have done it years ago, but would it be relevant now? And um, he said, absolutely, let me talk to to my publisher, which he did. Ultimately, we didn't go with that publisher, um, but we were delighted to be able to work with um, Melbourne University Press, who, as you see, um, also bought the Meganya Press into the... um, the Relationship, which was terrific. So they support books that are lavishly illustrated of national importance. And we would, were would beyond delighted about that.
0: So, Nanette, this is a really lovely synergy of uh, minds because Robin comes from a textile, had a textile background and you were from Swinburne and you kind of, you did your Masters in uh, Modernist Architecture from the 1930s. So there's a lovely blending of uh, how the fabric, how Francis Burke fabric really plays into the life of people during the thirties, forties and beyond. Correct?
2: That's right. My, um, research background is in interior design furniture design and um uh so and particularly australian uh and so yeah it was great when robin invited me to participate and collaborate with her on on the book i'd done a bit of research already on francis burke and um uh i agreed with robin that her her, profile really should have been much greater um, given the museum holdings of her work and that was how partly how we were able to have such a wonderfully illustrated book because a lot of her terrific fabrics are in collections the problem is that they hardly ever bring them out and they certainly have never done a a retrospective
0: Um, either robin or nanette why do you think her work is so significant now when you look at the designs why was she so important in the Australian context and even overseas?
1: We think uh, that her response, her personal design response to to the the um, post war architecture, was the thing that positioned her. When she first started her business, she was printing um Designs that um, were on lighter weight cottons and calicoes and were used for for dress fabrics, but she quickly proceeded into into furnishing fabrics and that 's where with the in collaboration with the architects who were designing the wonderful new spaces in in quite differently um, um, oriented houses and um, that she was able to respond to. And I think um, the architects could see that she had, uh, she was businesslike, uh, she had a great energy, and she also was able to deliver terrific designs that they hadn't seen before. And And
2: I I, think her designs... um, varied quite a lot over the period. I mean, in the 30s, she did garden flowers and that were kind of a little bit sort of arts and crafts, coming from an arts and crafts idea, but sort of quite um, simplified. And, uh, And then she moved into, you know, the Pacific, and indigenous-inspired designs, and um, also um, the uh, nautical and aeronautical designs. So, and then, you know, increasingly abstract designs as the as the post-war period went on. So, she she was constantly exploring, and also um, I think she loved nature. She was very much she would go down to the beach to her yeah. beach house at um, on the Victorian coast, and and. and Anglesey, that's right, and uh, she um, she loved. She collected seashells and rocks, and like a lot of designers do, and she she was really inspired by the natural world. And I think that really comes through in her designs.
1: Yeah. It also comes through in her colours. In the um, the natural world, completely um, um, drove the 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 clusters of colours that she used.
0: Um, I was going to also say. You know, she really had some of Australia's leading architects on board. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. when you look at the book, it's really a who's who of some of the leading architects of the post-war period: Peter McIntyre, Robin Boyd, Roy Grounds, uh, Dr. Ernest Fuchs, uh, Guilford Bell. I mean, it really is the the very top architects working at the time actually saw her work, and and obviously that filled a very important um, gap in the market. They could see yes. it. And that must have really been, uh, you know, a great impetus to her success.
2: I think so. She, um, she was very interested in architecture generally. She, she, when she went after the war to the United States, she went around and looked at um, all the latest architecture. She was a huge um, fan of Walter Gropius. Uh, and the you know the Chicago schools. so I think that um, it was something she was passionately interested in and and she she had the the language and the enthusiasm to kind of follow what the architects were doing, and in turn, they could kind of see the value of her fabrics to their spaces.
0: And she also had other champions. I mean there were people like uh, Marion Hall Best who supported people like Francis Burke and also furniture designers like Clement Meadmore, Grant Featherston. So it was a really wonderful community at the time.
1: It was an exciting community, wasn't it?
0: So <laughs> it was a sort did... of
1: ferment of creativity. <laughs>
0: why have we lost that now? Why isn't that excitement there now? Or is it there and, and we just don't know about it? But somehow I suspect it's not. We can't repeat a time.
1: I think the pool was smaller then.
0: Um, well, that's an interesting was... point, Robin, because you mentioned there was a, de- uh, a textile designer um, called Michael O'Connell who went to London at the time. And in the book it says, look, he he was kind of creating a little niche for himself in that area, uh, block printing, and then he went to London. So it almost filled this lovely little void for Francis to really explore.
1: Well, we feel... Um, though we have no absolute proof, but looking at RMIT or the MTC as it was then, the Melbourne Technical College records, um, and the classes that Frances attended, it seems that she would have unavoidably crossed paths with with Michael O'Connell, who was teaching there from time to time. And and she must, at that stage, um, having already attended the... um, the National Gallery School and the George Bell School, she would have, have also been able to see and make the decision that we've talked about in the book um, to, to look at, um, at design rather than, than fine art or art. And um, she made the decision to go with design, but I, it was fortuitous that um, that Michael and his wife sailed off in the April <laughs> of 1937, and that Frances clearly had some designs ready to go, because there is a record of the fact that she supplied, though we can't find any images, of the exposition um, in that year. And um, it would be lovely to find images of that, of the design she supplied to them, but...
0: I mean, What I love about this book is, um, apart from it being very accessible, is it's quite personal. So there's a lovely foreword by Professor Philip Goad from Melbourne University, who's sitting in his, um, with his family in front of him, mo- um, um, is obviously in a modernist house in Bomoris, and the backdrop is the uh, Shields fabric by um, Francis Burke. And it already sets a lovely tone from the beginning that this is actually a book about people's lives. This is, is much about design. And you, you go, you know, I think what's interesting about the book and is that, you know, Frances came from quite poor beginnings and she, had a sing- she was raised by a single mother. She didn't have the means to really um, connect with the hoi polloi at the time. So tell me about that. I mean, there's a lovely part in the book where she, her father, who was a salesman um, working for a fabric house, came home with fabric samples and they all passed the fabrics around the table and she was already getting a sense of what she wanted to do in life. And I found that really touching because, you know, one's early career often starts with those little memories that happened very early on in your life. Tell me about her early beginnings.
2: Well, Frances um, came from... Uh... Coburg Brunswick area which was a big um, textile and uh, clothing production area so it would have been all around her and um, as well as her father working in little Collins uh, little sorry Flinders Lane her mother apparently before she married was also working in the clothing industry in Flinders Lane so um, it was very much their fa- their family Melbourne which was big you know, manuf- manufacturing area at that, at that time in the sort of early tw- 20th century and um, and the neighbourhood, Brunswick and Coburg. And uh, she would, they as you say, the family sp- um, split up and um, she was raised by her mother and uh, clearly they weren't very well off. Uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, maintenance paid by her father, but um, she went through... <coughs> Primary and secondary schools in Brunswick, in uh, t- Catholic schools, uh, and then went on to do nursing briefly. Or was she qualified and worked as a nurse before she um, made made the change to um, art and design in the early 30s.
0: And sorry, Robin, you were I was just
1: going to say that quote um, of the passing around of fabrics to be felt um, that her father brought home was one. Of the things that she told me when I interviewed her for my masters, I interviewed both um, Frances and her her partner Fabi Chamberlain um, at that stage, and she had some she had some amazing quotes. She had some just these sentences that rolled off, um, and but we assume that they were they were absolutely true, um, though. She wasn't very old when her father left the household. And um, she carried with her, clearly. While her mother and sister both made their own clothes, that wasn't something that Frances was interested in. She, she, as Nanette said, went off and did nursing, we suspect, because she needed, wanted an income that would supply her with some dignity and allow her to to live a life that um, was interesting to her. But certainly she was biding her time because she exploded onto the scene in 1937. Um,
0: Robin, I was going to say, you know, the privilege of interviewing someone like Frances Burke must have been just a thrill at the time. Uh, What was it like? Because, I mean, obviously the book wasn't quite in your mind at that time with Nanette. But how did, she, <laughs> how did she feel about her life in general and what she'd achieved? Because she was awarded an, an Order of Australia at the very end of her career MBE. in 19... MBE, at the, an MBE at the end of her career in, in 1970 when she closed. How did she reflect on her life?
1: I think she was pretty satisfied with it. I think um, she could look over... The last, at that stage, um, fifty years, when I was interviewing her latterly, and um, and look at the way that she had made the decision for design, which we cover in the book, um, and w- w- really could tick off all the all the points that she had said that she she really wanted. To achieve, she wanted to be surrounded by people who were like-minded. She wanted a creative life. She wanted to be, um, to be, well enough off to to have a, a dignified and happy life, and um, she wanted to be loved. And she could look back over all of those things and say, well, she'd achieved them. And I think that's something that, that is, pretty amazing, and and the sort of strength that it took in those days um, is not to be not to be discounted and yet she didn't make a great deal of being a woman in a man's world or being sort of wildly radically feminist before we had the the tag for that that sort of um, approach she just got on and did what she saw she needed to
0: Um, for the time there are a couple of things that i found really interesting is that a lot of the images I haven't seen before. So there's some um, wonderful images of her, her first showroom in in Hardware Street. Uh, it's now Hardware Lane in the city, which opened in 37, I believe, or was it? 47. 47, yeah. sorry, 1947. Um, so, and the original windows are still there from that building, apparently. And then there are other there are other lovely photos in of, you know, the Georges before it was before it was bastardised in Collins Street and some lovely, even a department store that I've never heard of before. Hicks that Atkinson. What's it called? Hicks Atkinson. Hicks Atkinson, which looked truly amazing and just kind of a reminder of how people were so proud of displaying merchandise in windows and she was obviously um, a big part of that because a lot of her textiles appeared in windows like George's and Hicks Atkinson so you know it's just a a lovely reminder of what Melbourne was.
2: Yes it's it's interesting because Melbourne apparently um, had a reputation for being a a city with wonderful shop windows that rivaled London uh, even in the 1880s and part of it was the, the fact that they um the state government had big um, quotas, uh, import restrictions. And so uh, manif- uh, so the retailers would only import things that they knew that could sell because otherwise they'd be left with um, with big bills. And um, so it has a long history and, and it, yeah, it continued into the post-war period. I can remember as a child walking down Collins Street early on a Saturday morning and seeing some of the um, windows of Georgia's particularly. We used to always go and look at those because my mother um had had gone to school with the, one of the window dressers, and so we'd always look out for them and, and view all the windows and and compare them and so on. It was very much a Melbourne thing, I think.
1: The thing of window shopping, it was a it was very much um, an activity. It wasn't just something that that was a byproduct of going in to buy. It was really it was really looking.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, I think this book is also a reminder of how. The world has changed uh, since Francis Burke. And, I mean, textile design uh, isn't an easy uh, world, to, it's not an easy path to follow now. I mean, there were a number of um, uh, printers who came up in the 80s, people like in Tin and all sorts of people, and they didn't last long. And she really had quite a stellar career, if you think, from the 30s right through to 1970, and really supplying... Uh, you know, hotels, apartments, you know, right across Australia. I mean, that's quite an extraordinary achievement, really. And um, the only thing I wonder is why didn't she kind of take off more in in Europe and America? Because she didn't really, did she? She visited America, but she didn't really make her mark overseas.
1: Well, she definitely made... um... She made forays into the markets in terms of trying to understand them. Um, the, the governor general, Richard Casey, and his wife May were great friends of hers. And when Richard was, I think, minister for trade, trade is that yes. right, yes. Um, We found a lot of, of um, correspondence between them as friends, but quite formal correspondence with Frances trying to understand. But I think really she didn't have the capacity. Um, She had a small print works and um, she couldn't, the problems involved, especially sort of after the war in um, the supply of fabric and the, um, the shipping of the fabric would have been,
0: Horrendous. enormous
1: and for, fortunately she didn't she didn't waste her time there in the end <laughs> she put her energy and her her creative powers in and business powers into um into building the business here and supplying and and finished up as Nanette mentioned earlier with a a holiday house uh, well not finished up in fact she had it quite early a little car um and a real estate investment portfolio that we know a little about. Um, and that was from her effort. So had she gone into um, into export, uh, things may well have been very different.
0: Um, Robin and Nanette, after reading the book, I see an exhibition in this. Um, is that something that is uh, is is there is that something that you think could could have legs, or is it something I'm not even allowed to talk about? But I just see it as a beautiful exhibition.
2: Well, we definitely hope. Right so do we? <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we we're we're in talks. Let's put it like that. So we would very much like to um, to make sure that this happens. Uh, and and I think that the um, the book will certainly you know allow people to think about the idea and and maybe consider that it's more than time to do this
0: yeah well look well done on the book it's really it's a lovely it's a lovely read it's also um, a really good important introduction to for those who don't know about uh, melbourne either the architecture or the you know her life and it is a very uh it's written in a very personal way that makes it enjoyable for anyone really so look well done on the book Um, and let's hope that, you know, people really respond to it the, ways, the way I have. I mean, really, it's just a joy to read. Thanks so much for coming on to the program.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen.
0: You've been listening to Stephen Crafty. Talking Design is produced by RMIT University and brought to you in partnership with Melbourne City Council. If you'd like to stay up to date with all things Talking Design, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at talking design underscore.